Hey, how are we doing this morning, Sound City? Are we good? Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If we've not yet had a chance to meet, really glad to have you. Uh, what a beautiful weekend it's been. What a beautiful opportunity to just experience God's grace in creation and get to even just worship and praise Him for uh, just His majesty on display. As Pastor Shane said, we are going to push pause on Hebrews uh, for just this one week. We'll pick it back up next Sunday. But we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to read these verses, pray, and then I'll explain more why we're uh, taking a break from Hebrews in just a moment. So if you would, let's read along together, and then we'll pray, and we'll spend some time unpacking. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your rich generous grace. We thank you, God, that when we were destitute, you looked upon us with love and you moved toward us with compassion and mercy. God, for us as individuals to be adopted into your family, to be brought in, what a, what a great grace. And God, for us as a, a church corporately, uh, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for uh, this opportunity to kind of push pause on our normal sermon series and to look at this subject of generosity and grace. And God, I ask that you'd help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And I pray that we would all, God, all of us have soft and teachable and responsive and joyful and generous hearts. We pray this all today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Well, church family, as you may have picked up uh, by reading through this passage, today we're going to talk about money. And don't have to get super quiet. It's not going to be that awkward. Uh, but here's the deal. With, when it comes to money and churches, there's really a couple of ditches that churches fall into. One ditch that churches often fall into is, is just talking about money all the time. Money, money, you got to give more, you got to tithe, you got to invest, you got to give offerings. You, it can actually become really uh, either manipulative or sometimes just straight up heavy handed. Give, 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 money, 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 money. It's like all the church ever talks about. And so some people, in reaction to that, they're, they're, they're rightly turned off by that, but then they kind of pull the steering wheel over into the other ditch and they never talk about money and we never address the subject. We don't want to step on any toes. We don't want to offend anybody. And we don't want to ruffle any feathers. And so the subject of money is almost flat out ignored. The problem with that approach, the problem with both approaches, is the Bible talks a lot about money. I believe there's over 2,000 different verses that speak on the subject of money. And we as an elder team have made a commitment to you, the church, that we want to teach you from the whole counsel of God's word. And so if we're not ever addressing the subject of money and finance, well then we're not really addressing everything that the Bible has to say. Amen? And there's a, there's a practical reason why this issue of money comes up right now. Some of you may know that we as a church, we operate our fiscal year, our financial year operates from July through June. So we're just about to wrap up our financial year. We're about to launch into next year's budget. We as an elder team, along with the members of our financial accountability team, we've been talking about money a lot. And we wanted you to share in our joy. <laughs> 
We, we've really had an opportunity to look over the numbers and the, the financial reports from this last year. We've really had an opportunity to talk about where we think God is leading us uh, in this next year. And, and, and budgeting for us, it really is a spiritual exercise. And that might sound odd to some of you. Isn't your budget just, just your budget, right? You get an app, you get a, a bank account, you get a bank statement. Isn't it, isn't it just money? Well, no, actually, the Bible has a lot to say about money. And actually, Jesus himself is the one that says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How you invest, how you steward, how you spend and utilize the money that God's given you as individuals, how we spend and utilize the, the money that God has given to us as a church, says a lot about our belief in God, says a lot about our trust in him, says a lot about our values and what's important to us. And so as we've had this opportunity, it's, it's kind of a practical reason, but I also would just say to you, I think that we as a church, if we're looking at the two ditches, I think we've been much closer to and actually possibly even in the second ditch that I mentioned. We really have not talked about or addressed money, the subject of finances and the subject of money, widespread on a Sunday morning. And, and, and maybe some of that, just being transparent, maybe some of that's sensitivity or even possibly fear. We relaunched uh, as Sound City Bible Church about a year and a half ago, and we came out of a church situation where there was a lot of hurt and pain on the topic of church finances. I'm not asking for a show of hands or any amens, but I would be willing to bet that a lot of you, even in this room, or a lot of people that you know or connected to, felt hurt, disappointed, frustrated, disillusioned uh, over the subject of church finances. And if you've been a part of any of the church for any length of time, at some point that, that may ring true with you. But we want to love you, serve you. We want to address this topic uh, in a Christ-honoring and hopefully a, a, a congregation-loving way. And so with your permission, let's dive into the subject of money. Can we do that, Sound City? Can you, can you, can you go with me? And, and by the way, uh, this is an opportunity for some of you more fiscally-minded people to really get some good amens in today, okay? Because uh, you're going you're gonna to be loving a lot of this, what I have to say. I want to address this subject of money, and I really want to start at the absolute essential starting point, and it's the gospel. See, the Bible uses a lot of different analogies when, when talking about the gospel, we, we actually just sang a song, uh, Adoption, where we talk about God being a father and he adopts us like sons and daughters into his family. We have a, a new name and a new family and a new household. That's a picture of what the gospel is like. Or, or sometimes we'll sing songs or, or, or you'll see uh, in the scriptures this idea of uh, Jesus being like a husband who pursues his bride, that's us, the church, and marries us even though we're wayward and unfaithful, that marriage is a picture of the gospel. Well, money is a picture of the gospel. Money is a picture of the gospel. Actually, look with me back in our passage today in 2 Corinthians 8 in verse 9. The Apostle Paul is, is talking about money. He's talking about this group of churches in Macedonia who, even though they were poor and didn't have a lot of money, they wanted to give of their finances to help support other churches that were even more broke than they were. And so he's talking about how just this amazing opportunity for people to, to give of their riches, to give of their wealth, even when they didn't really have very much. And the Apostle Paul can't talk about money without even landing the plane on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look what he says, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Sin is spiritual debt. When we sin, we are robbing from God. We are robbing from God the glory that is due to his name. And every time we say yes to sin and every time we say no to God's will, we're accruing a spiritual debt. Again, I'm not asking for any show of hands or anybody to necessarily out themselves, but how many of you at one point or another have known the crushing weight of debt? Maybe it was medical bills that piled up. Maybe it was uh, foolish purchases on a credit card that just piled up over time. Maybe you had normal budget, but then you lost your job and you didn't have the income that you once had, and all of a sudden you're, just, you're, you're in this place of debt and you just can't, no matter what you do, get out of it. How many of you have ever been forgiven of that debt? I have, a, I have a friend who, they had a big medical bill, and they were really stressing and struggling about how they were going to pay it, and then they got the email, and I was standing with him when he got the email, 
boom, it's paid for. It's been underwritten. The, the, the hospital is just going to cover the cost for you. Just the weight that was lifted off of him, the, the, the joy that was in his heart, the joy that was on his face, I got to celebrate and rejoice with him. Friends, if you are a Christian, that means that God sent his one and only son to become poor for us, to live a, a humble, earthly life, and to pay the ultimate price, giving of his very life, his blood on the cross, paying our debt in full, but then on the third day, raising victorious from the dead as though to put a stamp on the paper that says paid in full, our debt is paid by Jesus Christ and we are free. Is that good news to anyone this morning? And that is the gospel, that the crushing weight of debt, spiritual debt that we were under, has been taken care of. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, as the hymn says. Amen? That's the gospel. We cannot talk about money without starting with the gospel. And Paul, Paul in, in 2 Corinthians uh, can't avoid that topic as well. But once we have our starting point, I think biblically we can kind of survey, we can see a couple of other really key things, a couple of foundations, things that are absolutely bedrock for us to understand when it comes to our relationship to money. And the first one is this, it's ownership. This first foundation is ownership. And when we think of ownership, we should think of God's ownership. God is the one who owns it all. The psalmist says, uh, he's quoting God. The psalmist is speaking uh, prophetically on behalf of God. God says, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. Then you get a little divine sarcasm in verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Friends, we are blessed and we are privileged to live uh, in a nation that acknowledges the idea of private property and ownership. And actually, when you really think through the majority of human history, we're pretty privileged to say things like, I own my house, I own my car. We're not, uh, you know, we're not a monarchy where the king owns everything or we're not a, uh, you know, communist country where the government owns everything. We have private property, we have ownership, and we're, we're thankful for that, amen? But the problem is, is when we take that too far, and we start to think, well, I own my house, I own my car, I have money in my bank account. Yeah, but where'd you get that from? The Bible would say, it's all God's. It all belongs to Him. The house that you live in, the car that you drive, the clothes that you're wearing, the food in your cupboards, it all ultimately has its source in God. He owns it all. We are stewards. We're stewards. He owns it, but God in his sovereignty and his, his perfect will has placed uh, responsibility on us to steward, to take care of, to be responsible for his creation. We actually see that all the way clear back in Genesis 1 when he creates the man and the woman and he tells them to have dominion over the earth and subdue it. God's saying, I rule, I reign, I'm king over everything, but I'm going to act through you, you, humanity. You're going to be my agents to steward this creation. And so everything we have ultimately belongs to God, but it's been entrusted to us to steward according to his will and according to his purposes. I've told this story before, but, but let me share it with you again because it had a profound impact on me. Uh, almost exactly five years ago, my family moved uh, to the Seattle area. We actually were moving into Seattle, uh, and I was going to do a, an internship that was a non-paid internship, and so we were trying to figure out how money's going to work, and things are going to be a little tight, but God had taken care of us before, and we were uh, kind of taking a little bit of a leap of faith. Well, we needed to live in like the Ballard or Fremont area, maybe Wallingford, and so my wife and I were, were literally in the car, we're in the minivan, driving around, we we're picking up rental applications, and we're, we're starting to look, okay, this house costs this much, we could fit our kids in this house, it's going to cost this much, and we found one, and we were starting to fill out the rental application, and I think we were in the car actually filling it out, signing it, and my phone rings, and one of the pastors that I was working with uh, said, hey, Aaron, you haven't signed a, a lease or anything yet, have you? I said, no. And he goes, good. He goes, because I have a family from the church that came up to me and said they're going to be overseas uh, in China for the next year teaching, and they wanted to know if there were any families from the church that wanted to live in their house for free for the next year. And I said, well, let me think about it. And I said, yes, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Jumped on that. I, I, we moved our family in. Um, we, we, I, let me tell you this. I've never taken such good care of anything in my life. Because I had this deep and profound sense that this doesn't belong to me. I'm like, kids, 
don't even breathe. Like, don't touch anything. You sit on the floor, right? Like, just take such good care of everything because, because we have this sense of, of, of ownership, or, sorry, of stewardship. We, this does not belong to us. We're here to take care of this house, this property for someone else. Friends, we are all stewards of the house that God built and the house that God owns. Amen? And, and so those are really important foundations. It all starts with the gospel and then these two foundational truths about ownership and stewardship come into play. And then, then this leads kind of to another question. Well, what does stewarding look like? And I think there can be a, a misunderstanding about stewarding. I think there can be a misunderstanding about stewarding where we start to think it's all about hoarding or saving or not, not using or not, not um, spending anything. We can almost think about stewarding like, like kind of being like a miser or being stingy. But that's not actually the picture in the Bible at all. You remember the parable of the talents? Jesus told a story where he entrusted some talents. Uh, there's, a, there's a business owner who gives some money, some talents, to his different guys. And one guy gives 10, and one guy gives 5, and the other guy gives 1. And the guy with 10 talents, the guy with 5 talents, well, they go out and they invest it, and they, they actually get a return on their investment. But the guy with the 1 talent, he just goes and buries it in the ground, thinking like, well, I don't want to waste it, I don't want to squander it, I'm just going to bury it. And that's the servant that actually gets rebuked because he didn't invest what he was entrusted by the master. So we talk about stewarding, we can't just automatically think saving. I think it's part of it, but we, we can't just think that. Let me, let me talk you through maybe five questions, not maybe, definitely five, because that's what I have in my notes. Uh, five questions that we can ask, I want more certainty out of this sermon. Five questions that we can ask about stewarding and asking yourself, am I stewarding? And I think the first place where we have to start is with the heart. And you ask, am I content or am I coveting? Stewarding starts in the heart. It doesn't start with the hands. It doesn't start with our actions. It actually starts in the heart. God, am I content with how much you've given to me? Am I a a ten-talent servant? Am I a five-talent servant? Am I a one-talent servant? Whatever my lot, whatever my portion, whatever you've entrusted me, God, am I content with that or am I always desiring more? Psalm 37, 16 says, Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of the wicked. Do we believe that? God, I've only got this much money and I, I know this person and they've, they've got way more money than me. Here's the problem with coveting is the heart's never satisfied. You never can have enough. You actually hear this from celebrities, wealthy people all the time, especially those who've maybe crashed and burned. They'd say, you know, no matter how much I got, I always wanted more. Stewarding being responsible, stewarding God's wealth, God's resources, really starts in the heart, a content heart, not a coveting heart. There's a great verse in Proverbs where Solomon has this prayer. He, he says, God, would you give me neither poverty nor riches? I don't, I don't want to be dirt poor. I don't want to be rich, which is an interesting prayer for Solomon to pray because he was excessively wealthy. He says, feed me with the food that is needful for me. And I'll paraphrase, he says, but if, 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 I'm, if I'm wealthy, I might be full and forget that I need you. I I might deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or, if I'm poor, I might steal and dishonor the name of God. There's ditches to be found both in poverty and in wealth. God, help me to be content with what I have. So it sounds to ask you, as as you think about the idea of the, the resources, the wealth that God's given to you, are you content or is there covetousness in your heart? Another question to ask is, am I saving or am I squandering? Am I saving or am I squandering? Um, You know that section of the grocery store right next to the checkout stand and they've got all those little knickknacks and they got the gum and the mints and the Hello Kitty flashlight that some of you guys are just really excited about, right? Like, what what do they call that section of the grocery store? Do you know what it's called? Impulse buy. I see it, I want it. We actually live in an advertising saturated culture where literally... Every minute of every day, you could be out in public and somebody is trying to sell you something. And advertising companies and, and, and others invest millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to research, like, like rats with cheese, how they can get us to bite. Sometimes we, we, we lack thoughtfulness and wisdom and intentionality in how we use our money. We end up squandering it because we're driven by our impulses instead of being driven by our convictions. Am I saving or am I squandering? Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores or reserves of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. 
just completely led by his impulses. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. That's a big term, a, a big picture view. Amen? Leaving money not just to your children, but to your grandchildren? You have to really think and plan and prepare to be able to do that. And you're not going to do that when it's, when it's you know, the, the app pops up in your phone, like, oh, i got to buy it right now, $5.99, here we go. Oh, it's just $3 here, it's just $5 there, it's just $100 there. But, but those things over time start to add up. And those things over time start to show that our heart, um, it, we're not being led, like I said, by our convictions, but by our desires. So I ask you, actually, this is funny, I came across, as I was studying this week, I actually came across a verse in Ecclesiastes, I think it's in chapter 11, that even talks about diversifying your portfolio. So it says, it says, invest in seven or even eight things because you never know what kind of calamity is going to strike and where you're going to need reserves. And all the people are like, yeah, that's right, mutual funds. Like it's, a, it's kind of a, a nerdy sort of a verse, but there's wisdom in that about just having savings, having reserves, having storehouses, and not being just driven by one thing, one desire. So I ask you, Sound City, are you, how's your heart? Is there saving or is there impulsiveness or squandering? A third question to ask when it comes to stewarding God's resources is, how am I providing for and helping the poor? So we, we just read that, that Christ, for our sake, became poor. As a matter of fact, when you read through the Bible time and time and time and time and time again, Old Testament and New Testament, cover to cover, God identifies not with the wealthy and the powerful, even though he is the king of kings who owns everything, but he identifies with, he partners with, he cares for the poor and the needy. You read through the Old Testament, the prophets are constantly rebuking the people of Israel because they are neglecting the poor. They're not caring for the poor. They're not demonstrating the heart of God in their love and compassion and mercy and grace for those who are struggling. We, we just read this in, in our passage here in 2 Corinthians 8, talking about these churches that wanted to help support the other churches. What's amazing about this, you see this picture of the churches in Macedonia. It says that they themselves were already in extreme poverty. The churches in Macedonia weren't a bunch of rich fat cats sitting on piles of gold saying like, well, I guess we can help those churches in Jerusalem maybe. No, they were themselves impoverished, but it says in verse 4, well, first it says in verse 3, they gave according to their means and beyond their means of their own accord. Like they just wanted to give. They were impoverished, they wanted to give. And in verse 4 it says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Meaning, these Christians in Macedonia had been so shaped by the gospel. They had been so uh, 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 marked by the fact that God forgave them their spiritual debt and their spiritual poverty that they couldn't help but beg for the grace of contributing to the needs of others who are poor. God cares a lot how we treat the poor. God cares a lot how we respond to those in need. And let me just say on this topic, I want, I want you to think about it personally, but for us as a church, I, I, um, I had an opportunity on Friday to have lunch with one of our community group leaders, and he just started sharing with me a couple of different stories of times in their community group where there were people, uh, men, women, a single mom, others, who, who just, they were struggling financially struggling. They hit a really hard point. They needed to move. They were short on cash. Uh, I don't remember all the different circumstances, but the community group, they just opened up their wallets, literally opened up their wallets, pulled out cash, wrote checks, transferred money, uh, you know, via their debit accounts or whatever, and they provided for the needs of the people in their community groups. I, I, I got uh, recently, uh, Pastor Travis emailed uh, out to our community group leaders, I got to read like 20 different stories from people in community groups literally opening up their wallets, helping others in their groups, not only that, but contributing to others in their community, people that they didn't even really know that much. I am so encouraged by you, Sound City. You have actually ministered God's grace to me even in this last week in preparing just this section of the sermon and getting to hear just how much generosity is actually taking place. But let me just ask you, are you helping the poor? Do you care for the poor and the needy? Number four, am I taking care of my family's needs? First uh, Timothy 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about those who are widows. They need to be cared for. If they have family that's alive, they need to be cared for by their family. He says the widows, you know, the older women whose husbands have died, they need to be cared for by their family. 
don't put that burden on the church, the Apostle Paul says. Uh, I am so thankful to be a part of a church that is truly multi-generational. We have something like 897,000 children in our kids' ministry every, every Sunday. It's a rough figure, but something like that. And we have so many families with young kids. I was talking with uh, one gentleman after the first service. He's like, man, how many pregnant moms are just running around here? Like, this is, we just start a midwife clinic or something here. I'm, and it's great. Lots of young families, lots of young people. But we are also blessed to have people, like not to embarrass you, but Selma sitting right here in the second row, who is one of our, uh, our oldest covenant member. And I won't give away her age because she probably wouldn't want me to, uh, but it's 84. And so we... Uh, <laughs> She is, she is a, a treasure and a blessing, and she helps hand out weeklies. You guys, we have a true multi-generational church. What a blessing that is. And let me speak to those of you who are in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. We have a biblical responsibility to care for the older people in our church and in our families. And some of you, it's just a furthest thought from your mind because you're so used to being taken care of by your parents, but a day may come where you are going to need to open up your wallet to pay for the needs of your parents as they uh, reach the older years in life. And so may we be people, may we be a church that seeks to honor God in this way, amen? As well, as well, 1 Timothy 5.8, there's a very strident verse where the Apostle Paul says, if someone doesn't provide for the needs of their families, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What a, what a, that's a rather striking and even kind of harsh-sounding verse. But what Paul is saying is, if you are selfish with caring for the needs of your family, if your children are going hungry, if your wife is, is going hungry uh, for your own selfishness, then you are uh, completely missing the point of the gospel. The Apostle Paul would say uh, to any of, of those here, even, even today hearing my voice, if you're one of those men, you're the primary breadwinner of the house, but you say it's my money and you only share a little portion with your wife or with your kids and you dole it out and you rule over them like a king instead of sharing with them as God would have you to do, you are in sin and you need to repent. There's a completely anti-gospel mindset and a completely anti-gospel heart. And so I ask you, Sound City, are you caring for your family and taking care of the needs of your, not only your immediate family members, but also your extended family members, particularly those who are elderly. And number five, as we think about stewarding God's resources, am I supporting my local church? Am I giving to and contributing to the work of the ministry that's happening at the place where I am receiving teaching of the word of God and care and watch over my soul? And so since we're here because we're a local church, let me investigate this subject just a little bit further. When we talk about supporting ministry, we see a couple of, of, of examples and really kind of the, the distinguishing factor. In the Old Testament, there was this thing called the temple. And people worked at the temple and they were priests or they were part of the tribe of Levi and they ministered. And what happens is people would bring sacrifices into the temple and, and we, don't, we don't do sacrifices. We don't do animal sacrifices, amen? Uh, we're glad for that. I don't know if Linwood High School has a policy on animal sacrifices, but if they didn't, and we did have sacrifices, they would have a policy really quickly. Sounds awful. But what would happen is these people would bring literally crops, fruits, vegetables. Some of it would just be burned up before the Lord, or they would bring animals. They'd be slaughtered and burned up before the Lord, but much of it was just brought in and given to the priest. And you know what the priest did with that meat and with those veggies? They ate it! Like food. They barbecued. That's what they would do. That's, that's how the people who worked in the temple uh, and, and, and their families and the whole tribe of Levi, that's how they were provided for. The contributions of the rest of the people of Israel. Now, in the new covenant, we know that the temple system is done away with, but there's still a bit of a correlation where people give financial gifts to support those who work in ministry in full time. Let me just say this. There, there is no such thing as like a professional Christian such as myself and then you amateur hobbyists. Uh, that's, that's not how the Bible describes the difference. We are all called into full-time ministry, amen? We are all called to share the gospel and to be making disciples as we go, but there are some that God calls into the church who are to preach the gospel, to care for and shepherd the people and who are to actually receive their living by doing that. I'll read you just two of, of many examples that I could give you. 1 Corinthians 9, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Or Galatians 6.6, 6, it says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so there's, there's actually a very clear biblical 
standard, a biblical principle for church staff, people working for the church, being employed by the church, and being supported by the generous contributions of people uh, such as yourself. And let me just say sincerely, from myself and from the other uh, pastors as well as the other uh, paid staff, we are so incredibly thankful, I am so incredibly thankful to have the opportunity to do this. People sometimes come up to me and say, man, it must just be really hard being a pastor and you, you're always having to meet with people and they always want to talk to you about their problems and everything is, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with crisis after crisis. And, and there's a part of me where I can acknowledge and say, yeah, there, there are really difficult days. There are days where I'm discouraged or even a little bit depressed. But I can honestly say, myself and the other church staff, we would say, can't imagine doing anything else. Can't imagine doing anything else because God's called us to, to serve you in this way. And so thank you for allowing me and the other uh, paid staff the privilege of, of getting to minister to you and love you. And so when you, when you have a bit of an issue or something, you call and say, hey, I need to talk, need to meet, please don't do so, hey, I'm so sorry to bother you. It's my joy. It's Shane's joy. It's Travis's joy. It's all of our joy to love you and care for you in that way. Please, please hear my heart on that. Can you hear that, Sound City? I appreciate that sentiment, but you're not burdening us any more than what we knew we were signing up for. With that said, okay, you, you get it. Okay, we need to give to the church. We need to contribute the, the, to the work of the ministry. The real question, when stuff starts to get real, is how much? How much am I supposed to give to the church? And how do I know you're going to use it wisely? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking. Let me address that. You're very good questions you guys are asking. It lines up nicely with what I have prepared. What often comes up in these conversations about giving to the church is this word tithing. What about tithing? Am I supposed to, to tithe? And some of you might be new to the church or maybe you're new to faith in Jesus. Let me just explain what a tithe is. The word tithe literally just means one-tenth. It means a tenth. Uh, we see the first example of a tithe happening way back in Genesis when our friend Abraham gives a tenth of everything to our boy Melchizedek. You guys remember Melchizedek, right? We love good old Mel. We're talking about him a lot in, in Hebrews. Abraham gives a, a tenth of everything to Melchizedek, and that's the first time we see somebody giving to a priest a, a, a tenth portion. Now, the tithe becomes eventually a law for God's people. The people of Israel had to give a tenth of everything uh, to the temple, to the priests, to support the work of the ministry. And there's some discussion, a little bit of controversy over, is it a true tenth, or is there other offerings and sacrifices? Some have maybe said it's even as high as 30%. I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know if that's actually true, because there seems to be some overlap. The math is a little bit hard, and especially being a musician, like I can count to eight if I start at five, uh, but I don't know all the math, but I, it's hard to really put all together. But, but needless to say, at least a tenth portion was given. You'll get that joke on the way home. Um, at least a tenth portion was given to the work of the priests in, in the Old Testament. Now, what's interesting when we get to the New Testament, the word tithing is only used eight times. And there are zero commandments to tithe. In fact, there is not so much as even a, a hint of a prescribed percentage that's to be given. If you look in the book of Hebrews, there's five mentions of tithing, and it's all in that really complicated passage about how Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek through the loins of his ancestor Abram. You remember that really, uh, really straightforward passage we discussed a few months ago? That's five mentions of tithing. The other three, to add up to eight, see, I can do it. Uh, the other three come from the, the, the mouth of Jesus when he's actually rebuking people for giving of their tithes with no heart, no joy rebuking the Pharisees. No commandment is given to tithe, no prescribed percentage is given, but instead some principles are given, some words are used repeatedly on how we're to give. I'll give you four. The, the first one is this, sacrificially. We're to give sacrificially. We actually saw uh, in our passage here in 2 Corinthians 8 that these people gave, it says, beyond their means. They felt it. Um, let me just confess to you, uh, my wife and I have uh, made a regular practice of, of, of giving a tithe and giving generously to the church as well as trying to give uh, to other organizations and support them as well. And sometimes we've had conversations where we kind of look at each other, we're doing our budget or something, and I think my wife was the first one who actually said it out loud. She goes, what do non-Christians do with all their extra money? <laughs> and, and, and then we rebuke each other and pray and then give generously and joyfully. Um, but, but the idea is, you know, sometimes when you're giving, you're going to feel it. 
to not feel it is not a sacrifice. If it, if it really doesn't cost you anything, if it's kind of an afterthought or an extra, or an add-on, uh, that's, not, that's not biblical giving. Biblical giving is sacrificial. You feel it. No, I can't take that extra vacation. No, I can't buy that new furniture set because I'm, this month I'm, I'm giving this money to the church to support the work of the ministry. Sacrificial. The second word that comes up, though, is proportionally. To give proportionally. We saw it in our verse, in our passage here today, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, it says they, they gave according to their means. They gave what they were able to give. And yes, some gave well beyond that, but they gave what they were able to give. If you look over in 1 Corinthians 16, in another letter that Paul wrote to the same church, he, he instructs them to give as you prosper, or uh, some translations say, to the extent that God has blessed you. Some of you are single moms. Some of you are between jobs. The thought of giving 10% is, is just, you're, you're tight, you're stretched thin as it is. So what are you giving? What do you contribute? Some of you haven't missed a paycheck in decades. You have a nice savings account, you have a nice retirement account, you have an extra house, you have whatever. I mean, however much God has blessed you, it's not a sin to have those things, but, but, but is there proportional giving? Do you feel it? Is it proportional to your means? Some of you, the idea of giving 10% um, kind of terrifies you. We'd love to help you. We'd love to work with you. I think we're going to try to, um, on our website, when we post this sermon up, we're actually going to attach kind of a giving plan that might just help you walk step by step through this idea of can I, how can I give proportionally to my means? How can I pray, God, would you help me to, to be able to give more as, you're give, uh, as you give me the resources, as you entrust them to me? A third word is to give intentionally. Over in that 1 Corinthians passage, Paul instructs them on the first day of every week, set something aside so that you can give it uh, to the church. There's an intentionality that he instructs. Hey, don't just give when you feel like, oh, I don't know, how much have I given? Have I, have I even given to the church? Have I, have I cared for the needs of the poor? What have I done? He says be intentional, be disciplined, be purposeful about it. Intentionality is very key. And number four, joyfully. My favorite one. My favorite word, because here's the deal. You could give sacrificially, you could give proportionally, you could give intentionally, and you could be a total sourpuss about it. Here you go, God, here's your check. God's like, keep your stinking money. Let's talk about your attitude. In fact, there are rebukes like that, especially in like the Old Testament prophets. You give, you do a great job giving. I want your stinking heart, God says. I want you to recognize that you at one time were cut off from God, that you at one time were drowning in spiritual death, that you at one time couldn't do anything to dig yourself out of the hopeless situation that you were in, and God in his grace and mercy reached down, pulled you out, adopted you into the family where he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's given to you the very riches of heaven. How could you not joyfully want to then say, God, everything I have is yours. I want to give it back to you. I would say that your joy is a pretty good meter to indicate how well you understand the gospel. The less joy that you have in giving would give me more increasing concern that you don't truly grasp the gospel and that maybe you're operating off of a works response mentality. That's just food for thought joyfully. We say it all the time, 2 Corinthians 9, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, at Sound City Bible Church, here's what we would say. How much should you give? You should give sacrificially, proportionally, intentionally, and joyfully. We as an elder team, uh, we've chatted around this, we've talked around this, uh, we do not believe that a 10% tithe is a mandatory law upon Christians under the new covenant, but we also would say, I think it's a really good benchmark. It's a really good idea. And actually, think about this. God, in his mercy and his grace, he made the math easy. You know what you do? You take the decimal point and you move it over one, like the right direction, but you move it over one and the math is done. I think there's even just providential grace in that. Just take a tenth portion and give it. Not as a law, but as a recommendation and as an encouragement. Let me read, there's a pastor named Sam Storms. He has a quote on this that I think is really helpful and summarizes it well. He says, Is it permissible for a new covenant Christian to tithe, as in to give 10% of his or her income to the work of the church? 
Not only is it permissible, I would strongly recommend and urge you to do so. In choosing to give 10% of our income to the Lord, we are honoring a God-given Old Testament principle. In the absence of a prescribed percentage for giving in the New Testament, why not adopt the Old Testament pattern? However, this does not mean that you are sinning if you don't. To give only 8% or to give 15% is equally permissible. Not to give at all or to give disproportionately to your income, which is the case with most Christians today. I might disagree and say with many, but most Christians today. Or to give grudgingly is indeed sin. Let us be joyful and generous in our giving. After all, everything we own belongs to God anyway. And here's the thing. You giving, you might, you might have a, a, um, an objection at this point. Well, yes, Aaron, you're a pastor and you, you get your living you know, from the church. And if the church gives more money, you have you know, more money to buy you know, fancy new Bibles or something. I don't know. There, there can be an objection there. And I, and, I, and I actually do really genuinely want to be sensitive to some of those concerns. We really try to walk through these things in a context of relationship. We want to talk to you. We want to meet with you. We want to hear your concerns. We want to hear your questions. We want to love you in that. But you need to understand that in the Bible, all of these instructions to give, they're not ultimately for my benefit or for any of the paid staff of the church. They're for your good. They're for your good. You actually receive God's grace as you grow in your ability to give. Did you notice that in our, in our verse in 2 Corinthians 8, 7? He says, as you excel in everything. He, he's, he's, Paul's looking at everything. I want you to excel in everything. I want you to excel in, in faith, in speech, in knowledge. Some of you want to excel in knowledge. You really want to be theology, you know, head smart and learn all those information, all, all those doctrines. In earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this. What's the phrase, Sound City? Act of grace. Giving is an act of grace. When you give, God actually ministers to your heart, ministers to your soul, and shapes you and changes you so that you look more like Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about Sound City. It's about us imaging our Creator. Listen to the way that uh, theologian N.T. Wright puts it. I love this quote. He says, The regular habit of giving money is a further practice which forms the hearts and lives of God's people. Once more, this can become a hollow ritual or can, even worse, transform itself into the settled habit of people's minds which thinks the church is always asking us for money or well, God owes me a favor because I've written him a check. Don't let the parodies put you off. The habit of giving, of giving generously, is not an extra option for keen Christians. I think that's a British way of saying, like, super Christians. It's not just for the best of the best. It's absolutely obligatory at all because our whole calling is to reflect God the Creator. And the main thing we know about this true God is that His very nature is self-giving, generous love. The reason why God loves a cheerful giver is that that's what God is, himself is like. Someone like that is a person after God's own heart. Making a regular, formal, and public practice of giving money is designed to generate the habit of heart which forms a key part of what Paul meant by agape love. Friends, it's not about you and me it's not about Sound City Bible Church. It certainly is not about me or the other pastors. This is about glorifying God, imaging Him, reflecting Him, being shaped to look more like Him. From the starting point of the gospel, building out a biblical understanding of stewardship, we actually get the, the joy of growing in this act of grace. Like I said, some of you, you want to grow in your faith. You want to grow in your love. You want to grow in your knowledge of the Scriptures. Do you want to grow in this act of grace as well? Do you want to? I, for me, I know I do personally, and for us as a church, I really want us to. And so let me transition here just in the last few minutes that we have together. 45. I'm just kidding. Uh, in the last few minutes we have together, I want to actually just give you a little bit of a snapshot of God's grace on us as a church. Because as, I, like I said, I'm not particularly um, wild about numbers and spreadsheets, so I'll be quick with this. Uh, for some of you. Some of you, this is like the most exciting sermon you've sat in in the last year. You're really looking forward to the spreadsheets. But as I was going over these numbers and preparing, I found myself just worshiping 
Jesus because of the grace that he's shown to us as a church. So let me just share with you a few numbers as we kind of wrap up our, our year. And I'll also say to you too, we have these annual reports that we had printed up. Um, one of our volunteers, Eliezer, did a really wonderful job of putting this all together. And so as you leave, make sure you get one so that you can see some more information about what God's been doing in our church this last year. Let me just share a few things. Go ahead and put the, that first slide up here. Let's just talk about just the revenue or the income, the contributions that have been given to the church. We have two buckets. We have a general fund and a building fund. This last year, uh, we, we budgeted based on previous contributions that we thought about $847,000 was going to come into the general fund and we budgeted a really nice number of zero for the building funds because last year when we set up our budget we didn't know that we were going to have to move. Remember that? Remember those days? Remember those nice ignorance is bliss days? Uh, all right. By God's grace, contributions came in actually in excess of $1.3 million, well above what was budgeted, and contributions to the building fund came in at almost $75,000. Praise God for his generosity and his grace, and thank you, Sound City Bible Church. I do want to make a note that in the the higher, uh, the higher uh, contributions than was expected, there were a few, a handful of kind of extraordinarily large gifts that a few people made. And so as we kind of plan for next year's budget, we're going to just kind of set those aside and still try to be conservative in our budget and not assume that those kind of larger gifts are going to come in again. That was an amazing gift of God's grace that enabled us to pay for things like the move without having to touch our savings at all, which I'll share a little bit more in a minute. Let's talk about our expenses real quick. We thought that we would spend last year about $360,000 dollars on the staffing portion of the church and by God's grace we spent 363 and a, some change so we were right on target with what we thought we we're going to spend on staffing I want to say two things about that number one from a budget standpoint that's about 41 percent of our planned budget most churches uh, you'll read the experts will say it's about 45 to 50 percent so we're actually spending less on our church staff uh, percentage-wise from our budget and second of all I love the staff that I get to work with at Sound City Bible Church. We have some incredible guys and gals, five full-time, two part-time, uh, uh, with Pastor Shane and Pastor Travis uh, being on staff with me, as well as Kyle, who oversees our student ministry, uh, Michael Eller, who we recently brought on to oversee our Sunday operations to help make sure things run smoothly, uh, his wife, Samantha, who is part-time uh, coordinating our children's ministry, and then Carla, who sits up in the back, who does all sorts of things behind the scenes that would literally put me th to sleep the moment I opened up those spreadsheets to do. So, Carla, we love you. Thank you so much. And to all of our church staff, can we just say a huge thank you to these guys and gals who serve so faithfully? And it's an investment. Remember, we don't, we don't believe as a church to hire staff to do everything. You're the saints, equipped for the work of the ministry, but the staff are there to serve you and help uh, love you, organize things, and make sure that it can go smoothly. That's why we have paid church staff to, to help all of us as the saints of God do the work of the ministry. Amen? We budgeted about $119,000 for operations. That's paying for things like printing and, you know, all sorts of just, the ex you know, the stuff that we need to buy as a church, uh, you know, kids ministry supplied, all those sorts of things, just expenses for operations. And we only spent actually under $80,000. So we were uh, quite conservative there. We were able to really save some money. So uh, uh, I think Pastor Travis in particular gets a lot of credit for that, for just making sure to really keep things uh, budgeted well. We thought that we would spend about $220,000 in lease and utilities. We ended up spending a little bit more than that, uh, $245, just shy of $246. Uh, but that includes some of the costs of moving, which was an unexpected cost and an unbudgeted cost. And so even though it's a little bit higher, it was still well within our means. Benevolence. We planned on giving away this last year uh, $11,500, and we have actually to date given away $10,500. Benevolence being people in our church family who are in need, who are hurting, who are struggling, and, and we come alongside as a church and help provide for some of their bills or take care of their needs. We had one example where someone uh, got stranded across the country uh, because of a, a relative dying, and they couldn't get back home, so the church actually bought a plane ticket so they could get back home to be with their church family. And that's not including the dozens and dozens of stories that I've heard from you the community groups, the, the, the people of the church, just opening up your own wallets and providing for the needs of others. So that's been incredible. And there's one more number that's really incredible. We budgeted this last year to give away about $32,000 for ministry support. 
other churches, other organizations, other ministries, by God's grace, we were able to give away $88,000 and some change to other church plants, other ministries to support the work of the ministry that's going on elsewhere. Isn't that incredible, church? I love that. We, we, that gets me really excited because I, I love the idea of the kingdom. We are one local church, but we're part of a much bigger body of Christ. We are supporting, um, I'll, 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 let me go backwards. We gave some one-time gifts to organizations like the Vision House, which is a transitional living uh, a group in, in Shoreline. We gave to a, a group called Foundation for His Ministry, which is an orphanage in Mexico, which actually uh, I went to when I was 17 years old. And uh, actually one of our community group leaders, Doug, and his family, they've been going there for like the last 10 years, and we kind of put two and two together. So when supporting work uh, going on in Mexico, we have one uh, younger man who is a church planter in training. He's going through training right now. But we have three active church plants, brand new churches that are about the same age as us or younger that we are supporting on a monthly basis, one in Spokane, one in Atlanta, and one in Orange County. And I'm happy to announce that I just confirmed this last week, all three of their lead pastors, their preaching pastors, are going to be here in August to preach and to teach to us as a church and give us a report. So that's cool, huh? Here's some, some bottom line. I'm going longer, but it's okay. You guys can, we can celebrate God's grace. We planned to have about $100,000 of extra revenue, you know, to be in the black, so to speak. By God's grace, we were over $630,000 in the black, which brings our savings in the bank to over $900,000 and zero debt as a church. That is amazing. Now, listen, listen. We are saving for a long-term permanent home. We as a church, we do want to buy a home, and so that savings, you're likely to see that savings continue to go up. Uh, we hope and pray by God's grace that it does go up. And if, like I said, we're going to budget kind of conservatively again this next year, but if, if donations increase and contributions goes up, that's probably one of the first places that the extra money is going to go is into savings so that someday, by God's grace, we could own our own home. But listen, this is absurd. Can I just point it out? Can I just point it out? Actually, Shut this slide up. Just, just shut that down. Listen. When I consider where we came from a year and a half ago as a church, God's grace on us is absurd. We are blessed people. Amen? And, and here's what's even, what's even more absurd is I, we think about this last year when we as the elders along with the financial accountability team sat down to plan, we really said, okay, this is a rebuilding year for us. We're not going to really, you know, invest in a ton of, like, forward momentum. We've got we to gotta get the people healthy. We've got to get the community groups healthy. We've got to get the foundations of the church set back up. In, in the annual report, you know, use the analogy of, like, a car rebuild. You know, the, the last year, the car's been in the shop, kind of getting the, the engine tuned up and the frame straightened out and getting a new coat of paint. And we really sense that God is leading us now to, to pull the car out of the garage and tap on the gas a little bit. Maybe not floor it, not pedal to the metal, but press on the gas. God, God, what is it that you want to call us into? What other ministry opportunities and ministry endeavors are you calling us forward into? God, how can we be better stewards of the resources that you've entrusted to us so that by your grace we can see more people meet Jesus? We can see more people find relationship with other believers. We can see more marriages healed and restored. We can see more churches planted. We can see more evidence of the kingdom of God at work. God, would you use us, Sound City Bible Church, to, to see the spread of the gospel and the kingdom work go forward. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about this next year. I'm really excited to see what God's going to do. I'm really excited already a year in advance to give you another report of what God's going to do in this next year. He's been so, so gracious to us. In the upcoming weeks, those of you who are covenant members of the church, uh, you're going to receive a, a packet that includes next year's budget plan and uh, the leaders, you know, the elders of the church, financial accountability team, recommendations. Um, those who, of you who are not covenant members and you want to be involved in covenant member, uh, committed to the church at that level, we do have a class coming up in a few weeks. We'll send you more information about that soon. But we want you to be invested and involved in the life of this church because we believe that God's done something really special. God's done something really special in this church. And I'm so thankful for his grace. I'm thankful for you. And I cannot wait to report back next year on what God has done. Church, is our God good? Is our God good? Is anybody encouraged? I hope you are. I went long, but I hope you're still encouraged. Listen, let me close. This is my, my very last thought. When it comes to the idea of giving, I really want to 
very much avoid anything prescriptive. I don't want to tell you what you should give because as we saw in 2 Corinthians, each one should give what they have decided in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me just give some, some possibilities, just some food for thought. Some of you, maybe, maybe you're not financially giving to this church or to anyone at all and God's calling you to begin to give, to begin to excel in this act of grace, but you need help. We would love to help you. We'd love to uh, walk with you if you need some help in that. Maybe you have questions. Maybe, maybe it's a relational issue. Maybe there's trust issues. We want to walk with you through those things because we love you and we care about your spiritual health and well-being. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you, you, you give, but it's irregular. It lacks intentionality. You're not doing, you know, the set this, set this aside on the first day of the week thing. Pray about that. Maybe, maybe you give to other organizations, but you don't know about giving to the church. Maybe you only give to the church, you don't give to other organizations. Maybe, here's the thing, maybe some of you give a ton of money and you have no problem giving money, but you don't ever give of yourself and your time and your heart and relationship. I, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, whatever it is that he's calling you to respond. But I pray that you would do so. You'd take time this week with your spouse, if you're married, with your friends or community groups or trusted people in your life to really talk about these things and wrestle through these things so that Sound City, you can grow in God's grace in this act of giving. Amen? That's it. That's all for application. I'm going to let you and the Holy Spirit and your wife wrestle it out, okay? Let's do this. I want to call us to a time of response. Now, we're going to respond as we do in a variety of ways. The first way is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. I don't want to belabor that point. There's, there's obviously, I just did a whole sermon on giving, but there's lots of ways to give uh, here in service, uh, through online or text to give. Um, as we begin this time of response, we're going to be joined by our younger students class, get to come in and worship Jesus with us. So I love the, the leaders that are investing in this group of students. As they're passing the offering buckets down from the back of the room, uh, I'm going to read some discussion questions, things for us to talk about this week in our community groups and in our homes. I know we have an emerging nation coming of students, so get involved in student ministry, right, Kyle? All right. Questions to chew on this week. Is the subject of money... Something that is challenging for you to talk about, why or why not? I would encourage you to go there this week in your community groups. Why does the Bible talk so often about money? How is the subject related to the gospel? When it comes to investing the money God's entrusted to you, what types of things cause you excitement and joy? I love that question. How is God leading your heart to invest in his kingdom? Number four, are there areas in your heart where there is discontent? or a lack of joy or even fear when it comes to stewarding the finances that God's entrusted to you? Why is that, and what might God be asking you to do about it? And for individuals and families to consider, who are wise people in your life that you can talk to openly about money, investments, tithing, etc.? Maybe for some of you, it really is as simple as you need to take a class on how to do a budget. You need to get your own finances maybe more in order so that you can be intentional with what God's given to you. Again, I'll just let you ponder those things and, and, and let the Holy Spirit lead you. A couple things to pray about. Please pray about these things in community group this week. Praise and thank God that he has paid our debt in full and our sins are forgiven. Amen? That's good news. Number two, pray that we as individuals would be wise stewards of the money that God has entrusted to us. And number three, pray that God would prosper Sound City Bible Church as we seek to invest the contributions that are given for his kingdom purposes. We're also going to continue our time of response through a, a celebration of the Lord's table. The, the, the servers will begin passing out the, the bread and the juice here. And I just ask you to, to hold on to those for a moment. We'll take this all together in a moment. But listen, here's the deal. We celebrate this meal, this, this commemorative celebratory meal of the body of Jesus being broken and his blood being poured out for us. And today, as you take this meal, I pray that you would rejoice and thank God that your debt is paid and your sins are forgiven. And I pray that you would, you would sing along with us as, as the band leads us in song, that you'd lift your voices and lift your hands and respond with rejoicing to the God who has given us so generously, not just a, a, our physical lives, not just the earth, but, but really the spiritual life, the life to come. We have been given the riches of the kingdom of heaven, and so we've got much to rejoice about. Amen? As they're passing out the, uh, the communion elements, I'll, they'll continue passing, and I'm just going to pray and then we'll begin our time of singing in response. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your grace on us as individuals. We thank you for your grace on us as a church. And God, I pray right now, as we begin this time of singing and responding to you, I pray that you would fill our hearts and fill our lungs with your praises. 
that your grace has been uh, exceedingly generous to us, and we want to thank you for that. And God, as we celebrate communion in the Lord's table, I pray that we would rejoice knowing that, Jesus, your body was broken and your blood was poured out that we might be forgiven of our sins, that you've paid our debt in full. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that it would affect us not just today, but each and every single day as we go. And we pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.